Welcome to Conversations on Wealth, a podcast series that explores financial complexities and modern strategies for the discerning investor. Brought to you by Ropan Financial Services. Now to our host. Welcome to Conversations on Wealth, brought to you by Ropan Financial Services. My name is John Calabro and I'll be your host. Today, we're picking up the conversation on long-term investment. So this is part two of a series of two. Okay, so why don't we now switch our focus to some of those more non-conventional type of investments. If we're talking long-term investment and we've covered super and I guess the various ways super's evolved, what about non-conventional investments, things that people might hold on to for a long time that uh, aren't so typical? Have you guys got some examples of that where you've seen some success stories or some interesting... I only saw a divorce last week. <laughs> I hope they're not listening, but um, yeah, we're, we're out for lunch and these particular, yeah, the clients I was working with uh, have, yeah, have, have been investing in the traditional sort of thing, John, but the husband's got a real uh, delight in cars and he's bought a couple of Monaros recently and um, ones that need a lot of work and a lot of money spent on and I don't think it was... Overly, <laughs> overly rubber stamped by one one person in the party. So, um, but but they are definitely an asset that are hold holding value. I heard Peter Brock's VK Group A SS sold for just over a million dollars recently. So, wow. one of the um, the Much raffle companies, I think it was LMCT, raffled it in a nationwide raffle and um so i'm assuming they're raising more than a million dollars in raffle tickets for the lucky winner so over a million dollars for a 1985 one of the blue i forget the color sapphire blue or something excellent Be- beautiful car john excellent i know i know i've heard of um the, the recent v8 land cruisers the price of those going through the roof because i believe toyota had stopped the production of them or we're going to cease production of those and mm. rather than decrease in value they've just gone up through through the roof the old microeconomics john demand versus supply mm. there's demand isn't there Absolutely. good point yep. what else what's some other assets well, i'll go back to the guitar thing i mean uh, I, I know of some people who bought you know i guess when in their in their youth bought themselves some nice guitars at the time that was all that really was on offer and then over time these 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 pieces have become popular, popularized and glorified. And, um, you know, not only do they sound excellent, if you've got that as your craft, you know, they, you, you could potentially build an investment portfolio off these things as well. And, you know, how mm. do you know? How do you know those things in advance? Mm. It's hard, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You mentioned earlier number plates, Jason. Yeah, this, I've heard recently there's, a, there's some stories going around about number plates being traded and people making um, – equity stakes on number plates and making some profits on the exchange and mm. it's interesting evidently it's to do with the number sequence okay yeah so uh, if you get the number sequence correct mm. uh, there's the real potential to make an earn out of the transaction so it's yeah. not necessarily because because you're pretty lucky jason you know j-a-s-o-n on a number plate's going to fit perfectly on your car <laughs> Won't be worth oh. a lot, though, John, would it? 
How much would you pay for uh, it, gee, though? Stroking that ego. Mm. I mean, <laughs> marvellous. I, 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 but it's true. I just can't see myself getting around with John on my car, but, you know, it would be tempting. We've got Ropan plates. Oh, there you go. Yeah, that was a, like a bit of a <laughs> 2000 sort of thing. <laughs> we moved past that, but they're, they're definitely there. It's a, it, is an interesting, yeah. it is an interesting prospect. It's, a, it's part of your personality, isn't it? Some people who, who put yeah. that on their car. I, I would be, I'm quite happy for mine to be as generic as possible i think to not draw too much attention to myself but not everyone's like that but it does beg the question what makes them valuable why the interest in the marketplace Mm. and i think i think there's i think that is that special interest market i mean special Mm. interest markets are only gaining more and more attention and probably getting i guess more and more found out you know things like social media things like the the internet um, you can have a, a, a special interest and have a massive following. We're hearing about Instagram followers who have, you know, uh, sorry, Instagram pages that have hundreds of thousands of followers in a special niche area. So coming back to the number plates, if you're a WRX driver from the early 2000s and, and you've got WRX 001, then that, that plate's going to be worth something. Mm. Same yeah, if, you, yep. if you've got the Brock fair plate point. or any of yeah, these other things, point. you know, mm. the, the old VNs or VPs or, or some of those old Commodores, uh, VP001. It's worth something to someone. Mm. You worth something, Rodney? I don't know. Eh. Don't mind the idea of some art. This wall behind John's <laughs> looking a bit blank. <laughs> Speaking of art, and we touched on you know cryptocurrency earlier, and I um, was googling gifts the other day, and I I'm in the creative industry, so animated gifts are something interesting. There's a, there's an animated flying cat that is now. I, th- I think it's something in the vicinity of over a million dollars on its through its NFT. So people are making good money out of seemingly, you know, innocuous art and, and creation. And this is a handful of pixels on the screen. So you know, if you're actually, if you're actually a, a master craftsman and can create an amazing painting or sculpture or whatever it is, you know, you, you're almost printing money with everything you create. I think Picasso got to that level eventually in his career, and there would be countless others as well. Mm. Have you guys had much experience with art collectors or people using that as a as a folio? Is there a uh, a superannuation fund around art collection it's a and, good, and collectibles? Good, a good question. Uh, super funds self managed can have those types of assets, but they just need to be treated pretty carefully, John. And um, in terms of if they're ever sold. Um, the transactions need to be at arm's length. So, again, that's probably a bit of a specialist area. But, um, yeah, if you're buying art, it's it's not something in the super fund, it's not something you can hang up at home. Out, uh, outside the super fund, and we're going to segue shortly into strategic versus tactical kind of investment. Mm, and I think mm. an interesting part of that conversation is uh, family wealth and things that get passed down. And I'm, I'm, I'm painting a picture in my mind of a, you know, a wealthy Swiss family that have a number of, um, you know, big mansions and all sorts of art on the walls and these sort of things. I mean, this is outside of superannuation. Um, I guess the question is, when do collectibles and items like this become part of your wealth gathering? And um, you know, how do you how do you navigate that safely? Uh, well, there's probably three aspects to that. There's the uniqueness of the asset that you're referring to, in terms of the fact there's probably no other replica out in the marketplace for it. Secondly the source or the origin of that particular asset class and then thirdly where does it fit in in regard to your longer term view for investing for example a rolex watch nowadays to draw the parallel has 194 components in it all handcrafted put together by hand 
compared to the traditional manufacturing lines of what are the popular watches today. Uh, so the comparison in regard to this Swiss artwork is probably very similar. Stood the test of time, has had value behind it. It's part of the fundamental uh, tactical play on buying the asset and that's probably part of the strategy in retaining the asset over a longer period and passing it down through generations. In, in some ways, they're less risky. They're not tied to markets necessarily. I mean, they are effectively tied to a market, but you know, if there's a, if there's a population mass out there that are, are, are always going to be interested in, in this asset or, or what this asset can represent, then you buy something, you've, you've, almost, you've almost got a sure bet of parking your funds in something that's outside of the structures of, a, uh, I guess, the, 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 the typical financial markets. Mm, yeah. It's probably um, traditionally been a smaller percentage of your assets, I think, John. So it's probably uh, <laughs> a very know, small percentage yeah. of my assets. Let me put it that yeah, way. Yeah. Well, that's it. Well, it might be might be one or two percent, but but I'm sure for the the larger family offices or you know the high net worth, it, it'd definitely be a key component there. But but at a smaller level. Um, I know you guys in the past have touched on family office and family wealth and some of these type of areas. Um, which again is a, a finer percentage of the market, but they are out there. And for any of those who might be listening, how do you change your, you know, what, what kind of tack might you change or what kind of advice might you give in that space as opposed to a young business owner or someone who's got a lifetime job? You know, it's a, it's a completely different mindset, isn't it? It is. And it's, it's, it's a question of time and the focus with that time. And then it's a question of the, the taste for the particular assets. So, the family office clients, if you like, typically they rather have involvement with direct assets compared to indirect assets. So mm. compared to the young couple starting up their business, they don't have the time and all the resources to go through all the pros and cons associated with should we buy or should we sell and therefore they employ the advisor and everything is pretty much more along the lines of freeing up time Whereas the traditional family office clients have stood the test of time and their, their capacity to be able to explore these particular assets directly is different. Uh, and that's where you need to tailor the advice based on that particular circumstance. And they're definitely into the theme as well. Absolutely. Yeah, yep, good yep. point. Yep. Just so I can be 100% clear for anyone else who might be listening, when we talk about a direct asset versus an in indirect asset, can you just be really clear on those for us and extrapolate out a bit on that? Yeah. For example, a family office client might want to invest in a new startup business and therefore take an equity stake in that business compared to a traditional young couple starting up their business where they don't have that capacity to a large degree so they will probably pour their investment into something that's made up of a number of different investments or a particular fund, like a managed fund or a pool of direct stocks. Um, so one is direct versus uh, indirect. Mm. If I could um, use that theme of family wealth and, and long-term wealth and that being distributed through the generations and bring that back to a local context, um, as we were saying earlier off air, we, we were talking about generations um here in australia where we've had you know the migrant generation say of the 50s and 60s have arrived they've 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 i guess established themselves here in a new country their next of kin have probably gone on got a decent education probably started businesses and made things a bit easier 
um, the next generation thereafter have probably had great educations. Um, and I think Malcolm Gladwell talked about this in, in some of his books, Outliers and some of the others, where for every extra generation, they're reaping the benefits that were prior. Now, we might find ourselves in, in situations in coming generations where people actually have some genuine wealth that's accrued and what are they going to do with it? And so we come back to our discussion at the beginning of this of podcast, you know, long-term wealth planning and um, you know where do things go? Um, so I know we talked about and we touched on this theory of this, this idea of tactical versus strategic investing. So is this where this comes into play where you can start guiding people based on some of these longer-term plans potentially? Reality is you need both. You need the underlying strategy to keep the pathway over the longer term and then you need the tactical play in regard to the decisions that you make on buying, selling or holding. Now, in layman's terms, I'll come back to basic John on the street here. Strategic, am I right in thinking this is when you have a plan, you're going down a pathway and you're looking towards the end of the street. Whereas tactical is Johnny on the street and there's a carrot dangling over my head and I'm just going to chase that thing because suddenly it's the new... (laughs) That's the new toy on, on, on the market. Um, perhaps, perhaps we touched on it earlier, maybe, maybe cryptocurrencies are a little bit like that, but eventually they'll become a thing. So have I got those distinctions correct? By and large, yeah, yeah for sure. Yep. yep, yep. The strategy takes into account the client's circumstances, the goals they have mapped out or trying to reach the situation from a both a negative and positive um, aspect in regard to their cash flow and how they uh, redirect that cash flow to accumulate wealth uh, whereas the tactical is a bit like what you just mentioned uh, there's the carrot and should i buy it y- yes i will no i won't how often are you guys as advisors have been in the game now for you know we talked i think about 20 years how often are people coming in saying jason rodney i've got this great idea or i've got this great opportunity uh let's talk about it how often does that happen quite a bit doesn't it <laughs> <laughs> I, I think say ja- daily. <laughs> I think Jason had a call from a Melbourne real estate agent about a, a local property and yeah, it's a substantial property and um yeah, we had a buyer for it, didn't we, months ago and the owner knocked back the offer hoping that a Melbourne buyer would come down, but it seems that Melbourne buyer hasn't arrived yet. So now the call's been made. But since then the, the potential buyers kind of moved on. So, love to know just mm. just for the sake of the entertainment. What are some of the craziest things people have come and said? Hey, this is on. I mean, I'm, and I'm thinking llama farms and all sorts of crazy stuff. There must have been, must have been some some real cherries. Gotta be careful what we say. <laughs> <laughs> there there are some investors you steer clear of in terms of their direction. Um, mm. Yeah, we've, yeah, you gotta be careful what you say, don't you? Well, this, but, this comes but I remember back. a few years ago. Well, I, was, I had a good one. I was at the gym and. A local business owner they had a very substantial business which they they sold there were two aspects to it one was uh, importing and the other one was retail of those imported goods but they just went through a period it was around the gfc that they um or one of the it was one of the sons so we talk about wealth transfer but he wanted to go off grid he was convinced that the world was not going to look the same and financial markets were never going to recover and his money at that stage or his advice was to go into silver and gold and like at the time we stick to more of a strategic asset allocation with the with our funds and those strategic assets like international shares which made up of things like apple and google and all of those things the return over the last 10 years 
uh, what's well, 13 years now, was huge mm. compared to silver and gold. If his decision, it was obviously fairly tactical at the time, but if that was his strategic decision, he was going to ride it out, uh, it probably didn't leave them in good shape. So we, we speak about the short-term you know, strategic versus tactical. you got to be careful. Because if you put all your eggs in that tactical basket and it, it doesn't work out, you're really on the back foot. Mm. Feels to me like this risk profile we talked about, you know, managing risk earlier on today. Understanding and knowing your own risk profile and actually, you know, committing to it would be would be a great thing to have to help guide you in these moments of temptation. I think the issue is, John, you need to build on people's confidence, be it business confidence or investor confidence. So the the risk mitigation through the risk profiling is all about trying to identify where the client's at in regards to their overall level of confidence uh, and then navigating the pathway for it, be it on the strategy that Rodney just referred to or the technical play that's an option within that strategy. Uh, if the confidence isn't there, and there's no foundation in regards to the future direction, then consequences uh, come forward and, and ensue. Absolutely. And anecdotally, can you recall, and again, inversely to what I asked before, can you recall some examples where clients have come with an idea and it actually went gangbusters and you thought, well, good on them? Good one. Yeah, certainly there's a, there's a casing point in regard to the packaging and distribution business. Uh, where the investor came through with an original idea in that regard and jawbone on the potentiality of that particular business and the local marketplace demand for that business. And uh, if we turn the clock back maybe 12 to 15 years ago, they're booming. And sometimes you, you got to take a punt, don't you? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you say take a punt, but... It, well, the, 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 back yourself, I think. is the- Yeah, combined with some adequate research, uh, some number crunching and some planning with the direction in terms of, okay, that's the idea, but what resources do you need to fulfil that idea? Uh, and that's where the conversations need to be had. Well, the st- strength of vision as well, Jason. We've got mm. our milk powder investment that we went into as a startup, what, mm. five years ago, it's six years ago? six years ago now. Yeah, well, it started off with a vision, started off with a factory, and um, since then... The business has grown its its products and its reach across the world, particularly Asia. And um, they've recently bought out another milk powder, f- oh, another milk factory up in Sydney, and we're looking to go to an ASX listing early next year, John. Amazing. So started off with a business r- with really an idea, and it's looking to list at a valuation of around 130 million. So that's an example where we actually backed an idea and an investment and. Um, so we'll carry a good percentage uh, into that um, listing for our clients. And, yeah, so but for all the things that come across our desk, there are so many investment opportunities we knock back. But that was one that we were happy with the business plan, we are happy with the CEO. Um, it's looking good. On, on that mm-hmm. point then, if I was to, again, just circle back to today's theme, this idea of long-term investment and we talked about risk profile, these opportunities emerge – What's some of the questions that you both ask or you would say if, if, if a client knocks on the door and says, I've got this idea or this opportunity's come or even for yourselves, you're going to consider something because you don't want to chase everything, but some things are worth it. What's some of the green lights that you are looking out for in an investment before you pull the trigger? You, d- you just mentioned a few, Rodney. 
<laughs> yeah, no, 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 no doubt, no doubt. Oh, well, you you back the person, you you back the vision, you consider the exposure too, John. Um, you know, probably the milk powder one. We probably didn't invest more than one or two percent of a client's portfolio into that project. We've had another one more recently in a group called Distech, uh, where they're using artificial intelligence to create. Uh, a, a way to very efficiently find out if somebody's got dyslexia. And um, we like that from a community perspective in terms of the investment to help, you know, people that have got learning difficulties. And, um, you know, we took a stake in that company as well and they were good. They allowed us to take a reasonable um, percentage of that business and we're now able to oversee it and give them some support with their decision-making and their management and we th- we think that could be a good one too, but you know, these types of in- investments they're they're not always a P and L one where you look at the P and L and go, yeah, it's a no brainer. Um, we've helped clients in the medical profession purchase, you know, medical clinics and that sort of thing. Whereas they're one more, you look at the P and L and go, all right, it's got the you know relevant profit levels. You know, is there risk around you know retaining and you know, bringing down new doctors and that sort of thing. So it depends on the type of investment or, or business that we're looking at. Um, and, and herein lies, I guess, the answer to the conversation is a sense about superannuation. Yes, it's a great tool. It's a great vehicle. It has its place. We talked jokingly about number plates and guitars and, and look, all sorts of other things that are, are handy for investment for sure. But what you're talking about, again, is, is another thing, investing in a business and taking a part and, and weighing up a lot of things and, and you know spreading your risk you're talking about one percent of someone's portfolio it's not you're not throwing um all your eggs in one basket mm-hmm. you're doing True. it mm-hmm. in a smart considered way that hedges your bets and and you know can still reap some really good rewards. so it's really about finding a great balance isn't it ultimately absolutely and where it fits in with the client's overall perspective on the marketplace and their appetite for risk and their appetite for that potential longer term vision um, there are quite a few aspects that need to make or form part of the decision-making process. There's the identifiables, but then there's yeah. working on what you can't identify. Yeah, that's true. It's true. Um, yeah. All right, guys. Well, look, that's been a good long chat, and understand we're going to be spreading this podcast over two parts so that we can break it up for people. But like, I think we've covered a lot of great topics. Um, Jason, we didn't get to touch on your your interest in boats. And your, and your passion for, <laughs> for being out in the water. Is, is, or is that crypto. Or, is that, crypto. or crypto as well. Is that still a thing? <laughs> well, let's uh, postpone it to the next podcast. I'm looking forward to the invitation to come uh, to lay on the deck as well, mate. So, um, yeah, <laughs> when you're ready. <laughs> Guys, if we could just um, hover, f- you know, 50,000 feet above everything we've talked about today, I'd just love that one takeaway from each of you. You know, what's the thing you think out of today's discussion that probably, you know, could touch at the heartstrings of someone out there or, or speaks to what you guys can provide or, you know, really is is the thing that you think, if you're going to think about something over Christmas, think about this with regard to that long-term investment balance. Mm. What would that be for you? It's a good question. I'm sitting here thinking, oh, gee, what is it? But but I think you've got to start somewhere, John. I've got a, Olivia, young daughter. She's interested in investing, but we've got to start somewhere. So be it opening an investment account or or whatever, doing some research, but... I think if you start somewhere and make a decision, then you can make another decision and another decision. So that's probably a pretty basic one. I feel like that's a pretty good podcast topic waiting to happen, isn't it? Now, what kind of <laughs> advice can we give our young children and how, we, how might we do that as, as fathers? Mm. Um, how about you, Jace? 
Oh, look, the world's a big marketplace and there's ample opportunities and, and, and speak to people. Mm-hmm. Talk. Uh, we don't operate in silos. We operate in, a, in an environment where there are opportunities associated with risks and the only way you can navigate through that pathway is by speaking to people. Your advisor, your peers, mm-hmm. people who have actually gone down that pathway historically uh, and learn. It's all about the learning. Excellent, guys. Well, point. thank you for your time today. I hope the listeners out there have enjoyed it. We would love to hear from you if you've picked up any points or would like to know a little bit more or if you think there's something we'd like to, you'd like us to discuss in future podcasts, please reach out, touch base. So for anyone who's interested in having a more in-depth discussion about the things we've discussed today, please, by all means, reach out directly to Rodney and Jason. You'll find their contact information by visiting ropan.com.au, R-O-P-A-N.com.au. But of course, you may have your own financial advisors or trusted friends who have your best interest at heart. So, you know, give them a call, shoot them a text message, ping them on Instagram, however you want to reach out and uh, start the chat. And like Rodney said, just get started. Okay, so that's all from us today. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you on our next installment of Conversations on Wealth. We hope you have enjoyed this podcast. Please note that the advice discussed in this podcast may not necessarily be suitable to you because it contains general advice that has not been tailored to your personal circumstances. We ask that you please seek personal financial advice prior to acting on this information. To find out more about what was discussed in this podcast or to seek advice, we encourage you to contact the friendly staff at Ropan Financial Services by visiting www.ropan.com.au or referring to the notes in the description.